everybody. This is Alex Merced, and you're listening to another episode of Nolly Dataways presented by Dremio. And today, what we're going to talk about is Dremio and Data Lakehouse table formats. So this is things like Apache Iceberg, Delta Lake, Apache Hoodie, and just sort of how they relate to Dremio. Because at the end of the day, Dremio is the open lakehouse platform. So regardless of what tools you're using, what data formats you're using, uh, where you store your data, Dremio tries to have a story for you to be able to work with your data on the Dremio platform. Now, why not try the Dremio platform? So if you haven't tried it yet, go give it a shot. You can head over to Dremio.com and try the Dremio test drive. There's no cost, no obligation. Just gives you a chance to kind of get hands out, uh, try out a few queries, and uh, yeah, get the feel for working with the Dremio Lakehouse and what it can do for you. And make sure you get an early copy of Apache Iceberg, the definitive guide. So again, right there, you can scan that QR code and get the first couple chapters so you can learn more about Apache Iceberg in this new O'Reilly book coming out early next year, where you can get yourself an early release copy by scanning that QR code. We got plenty of episodes of Gnarly Data Waves coming up in the coming weeks. So next week, we'll be talking about getting started with Dremio Data Reflections, learning about the secret sauce of Dremio. After that, we're going to talk about simplifying data mesh with Dremio's Open Data Lakehouse. After that, will be best practices for building a data lakehouse on ADLS, so that's on Azure. Okay, and then versioning data in the data lakehouse. We're going to talk about the differences between file, table, catalog versioning. So make sure not to miss any of these great episodes every Tuesday, same bad place, same bad time. Okay, and also just be aware that Dremio is doing these events with AWS and Tableau in Chicago, New York, Toronto. So if you're going to be in any of these places on any of these dates, make sure to come pay us a visit uh, to these really cool events along with events all around the world, such as Big Data and AI World, Data Festival, Coalesce, Big Data London, Big Data and AI, Dremio will be everywhere. So if you're at any of these events, come make sure to visit the Dremio table, pick up some swag, say hi, and have some great conversations. But with no further ado, let's get started with the, our feature presentation. We're going to be talking about Dremio again and Data Lakehouse table formats. I will be your chaperone this evening as we go through this exciting and interesting topic, because table formats are a big deal for good reason right now. Okay, so let's just kind of set the stage first. So we're gonna do an overview of those three formats and kind of talk about how they work and what they are, but let's just set the stage for why they are needed, the world that we're in today. Okay, so essentially what's happening for at the, when it comes to very large scale data, big data, the, the quickness of that data grows and, and the ways we wanna use it is expanding. It's, it's just basically growing so fast that no one tool can really add all the features uh, fast enough that you would want to do every workload that you want. So the, the old days of just saying, hey, I'm gonna have a platform. So this is my data warehouse and I'm gonna do everything through that data warehouse. It's just becoming harder because again, no particular platform can be everything fast enough. Okay, so you need access to multiple tools. Um, and generally like the best place to have for those tools to have access to that data is going to be on your data lake. So that way it's stored in one place and then all your tools can then access that one place. Okay. So the deal with sort of that technological expansion, you have the data lakehouse pattern. Okay. The idea of, you know, store the data in one place and then all your tools externally access that data. Okay. And then do these kind of data work, data warehouse like workloads. Okay. So the difference is like before, Data lakes were like more read-only, a data lake house, because of some of the components we're going to discuss, you go beyond just read-only into like being able to do full-on updates, deletes, and um, you know, much more a variety of types of workloads on the data lake with much better performance. 
But the other thing I want to point out is just like the scale also has a secondary issue. So there's the technological issue that data lake houses solve. And then there is the cultural issue, which is, hey, there's just so much data that our centralized IT team, you know, they just can't scale up necessarily like their knowledge of the context of this data um, and organize and curate this data fast enough uh, to deal with that sort of, you know, now huge scale. Okay, so this is where like the data mesh pattern comes in where you basically, you break up the division of labor for who's working on the data into teams based on, you know, uh, domain expertise, uh, you know, subject matter experts, stuff like that. So that way you have different teams that can focus on producing data products quickly. So both of these are part of the picture of dealing with scale today, the technological picture and the cultural picture. We'll talk about data mesh a little bit more in a couple of weeks, but just trying to kind of give you that sort of big picture where is the industry going? Why are we going in that direction? It's not just because, you know, it's a shiny buzzword. There's genuine problems that are being fixed here, again, of technological and cultural scale. Okay, but the key piece on that technological scale issue is to be able to do those data warehouse-like workloads on your data lake, okay? And for that to happen, you need, like a data warehouse, when you think about it, it's just like a box. And there's a lot of stuff going on in that box that is abstracted away from you. One of those is just sort of like, how is the data stored and how it understands the data that's stored. So there's, so basically there's a way that that data warehouse stores data, okay? In the data lake world, we're gonna think parquet files, but there's also gonna be a bunch of metadata that data warehouse is gonna store in order to be able to scan those, that data more efficiently, okay? So in this case, we need metadata to help us scan through all these parquet files more quickly, not only do that, but also be able to just think about them in a more intuitive way. Instead of thinking about it as, hey, these thousand parquet files represent data set A, I just want to think table A, okay? And I just want to run a query in table A and not think through, you know, all the underlying stuff. I just want to say, hey, I'm just, I just want to scan table A and run this where clause and get me that data, okay? And th this is kind of what table formats bring you, okay? They're going to give you the ability to sit there and say, hey, there's table A on my data lake. There's table B on my data lake. And also allow more efficient query planning because of the metadata they provide, okay? And there's gonna be generally three main formats that kind of fill this role. They do have their differences, but all of them are constantly adding new features. So a lot of things that made them like different as far as feature sets, um, I would say are less so nowadays. And again, they're constantly getting closer and closer to feature parity. Again, there's gonna be different uh, use cases for different aspects of them um, or different ways that they're executed in different ergonomics. But at the end of the day, like they, they generally serve the same promise where they, where there is some more variance is going to oftentimes just be in sort of like what tools know how to read them. Okay. And again, it comes back to that whole technological scale issue, being able to have access to many tools as possible. Okay. Well, let's go over those three formats. Okay. The first format's Apache iceberg. Okay. So now Apache icebergs approach is it takes a look at your data as a se sequence of snapshots, okay? And each snapshot, okay, is made up of a manifest list, okay? So these manifest list files in this metadata tree that Iceberg maintains, okay, so everything is done through this metadata tree, every snapshot is a manifest list, okay? And each manifest list is literally a list of manifests, which are groups of files that make up that that could be part of a snapshot. So that same manifest could be parts of multiple snapshots. Okay, so this is one of the nice things about this design. You have reusability of these manifests to help optimize the amount of like storage. 
you do in trying to store this metadata. Okay, instead of creating, you know, repli rec replicative lists when you don't need to. Okay, but every time you make a change to the table, you need to capture sort of the new definition of the table, and that's what this metadata file is. Okay, there's always sort of a newest or root metadata file that represents sort of the table as it is. It has a list of the schema of the table in previous schemas. It has a list of the current partitioning scheme of the table in any previous partitioning schemes. It has the list of snapshots and previous snapshots. So that way an engine can get there. But how does an engine know which is the current sort of the current or root metadata file, the one that sort of is the end all source of truth, okay? The way it does that is through a catalog, okay? And the catalog basically is gonna be a list of tables with a reference to whatever their current metadata file is. So that way, there is no question what is sort of that root metadata file, what is that that source of truth metadata file. Okay, so a query engine looking to read an iceberg table would basically consult this catalog mechanism, which could be a variety of things, things like a hive, there's Nessie, there is JDBC, AWS Glue, the REST catalog, DynamoDB catalog. There's a variety of mechanisms you can use to be this catalog, this arbiter of which tables exist. Okay, so the engine would then consult the catalog, learn which is the newest metadata file, figure out which snapshot wants to scan, scan the manifest for that snapshot, where it's gonna see the groups, the manifests, which will have metadata stats, and it can then do partition pruning based on those metadata stats and say, okay, hey, well, these, these manifests have nothing to do with my current query. So we're not even getting rid of individual files, we're just getting rid of big chunks of files. And then once it realizes, okay, hey, only these, this handful of manifests are rel related to this query, those manifests have the list of the individual files with stats on those files so you can do further pruning okay so that way when you actually do your query plan you're only scanning the files that are absolutely necessary so you're doing a high level of data skipping okay you're skipping data files that don't need to be scanned because of that how that metadata is laid out and how the engine can use it okay and then then your engine would just go scan the metadata based on how that engine scans i mean scans the data based on how that engine scans the data okay the benefit of these table formats, again, is going to be in having that more efficient query plan on the onset, okay? And also the snapshot isolation that all three of them provide, so that way you can do things like time travel, okay? But again, everything in Apache Iceberg, you have your metadata files that capture sort of the definition of the table as a whole, your manifest list, which capture a snapshot of the table, and then you have manifest, which grabs, captures a group of files, okay? And then that's basically how you capture the information about the table um, and basically you have this metadata tree that allows uh, engines to be able to discover hey this is the, this is the table these are the files i need to scan okay then there's apache hoodie so apache iceberg was created at netflix to solve issues that they were having with hive okay apache hoodie was created at uber particularly if you handle sort of large amounts of streaming data okay so it's very designed um, and you can really tell from a lot of the design that like it really has like sort of a, a streaming first mentality, okay? Because everything is sort of tracked through a timeline. So instead of having like individual snapshots, you have lots of events, okay? And then there's different categories of events, um, you know, whether they're inserts or optimizations and whatnot. And essentially every time there's a commit, it captures sort of what type of event it is, what timestamp the event occurred at. And basically based on that timeline, you can then reconstruct the table. So if I scan the table at X, it would then just traverse all the events in the timeline to reconstruct the table at that point. Okay, so the idea is um, 
And again, depending on the Quantic Query, it'll know, hey, which events should I listen to, not listen to, whatnot. Um, but it's very, again, very geared for streaming, um, where you're just capturing just the basic event, so that way you're you're not necessarily writing a bunch of other data that's uh, about what happened. Okay, so you can do it really quickly for that sort of real-time nature of data. Okay, um, it still is a, you'll see that Apache Hoodie and Delta Lake still take a very directory-based structure to the, the, the physical layout of the table. So that means that like old Hive tables, the way the table works is all the Parquet files would be in one folder and then all the partitions would be separated into subfolders, okay? Um, okay, and then that's just how Hoodie and, and Delta Lake work. Apache Iceberg, because of its metadata structure, that's not necessarily a requirement, um, but it is what it is. Okay, and again, remember I mentioned data skipping. So like in Apache Iceberg, you had those chains of metadata and each of them had information to skip data. Apache Hoodie has a separate metadata table that includes the uh, column and file statistics. So that way you can kind of do that same thing where you skip certain data depending on what your query is. Okay, so that's gonna be where their data skipping mechanism is. It's gonna be again in that, that metadata table. Okay, which is now, uh, pretty sure now it's default by default it's active on any table you want you can't turn it off uh, if you don't need it but um, now I think it's on by by default okay now Delta Lake okay Delta Lake was created by Databricks okay and we you know when Databricks is building their data lakehouse platform okay um, they needed a way to be able to run analytics on the data data lakehouse faster okay um, because again you don't just Parquet files are pretty efficient, right? Because Parquet files have like row groups and they have metadata on these row groups so that we can say, hey, I don't need to scan this row group. I don't need to scan this row group. But when you have like a thousand Parquet files you need to scan, it's even if you don't scan any row groups, it's still inefficient to open up the file, read the file. Um, and this is what these uh, table formats do. They allow you to skip files. So Databricks created Delta Lakes to allow it, its platform, to um, be able to skip files to scan more efficiently when you're using the data Bricks platform, okay, and eventually they 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 uh, open sourced it so that way other people could build data lake functionality into their tools or Delta Lake functionality into their tools. Now the way Delta Lake works, it's very similar to like Git diffs. So if you ever seen like use Git for like code, um, a Git commit's really like okay, hey, we added these lines of code and we subtracted these lines of code. So each commit, okay, so each of these commit files or AKA a Delta log file in Delta Lake, what it does, it captures, okay, these files were added to the state of the table. These files were removed from the state of the table. Okay, and essentially the engine would just start from the first commit up into the current commit that you're, that you're, that represents the, the state of the table that you're scanning and then recreate, okay, these are the files that are made up the table. Okay, and then there's generally a separate index that'll help with the data skipping. Okay, it'll maintain indexes on, on, on the different columns that represent the different files. Okay, but there's also these checkpoint files. So what will happen is that let's say you have five commits, it can be you know it can be time consuming for an engine to go through every single commit and reconstruct that that, that table. So what they allow you to do is say, okay, hey, up to this commit, because I'm really going to be scanning typically after this commit. Okay, so let's just create a checkpoint that summarizes let's say the 30 commits up to that point. Okay, so that way instead of having to go through 30 commits to construct your table, you have this summary file, this checkpoint file that allows you to kind of start in a more at a quicker spot. Okay, so that's that's sort of like the architecture of Delta Lake. Okay, also again, that physical structure is generally one folder with all the subfolders that are partitions. Okay, 
And essentially you have, again, the Delta logs and you have the checkpoint files. Okay, and again, uh, in these files, you have indexes of the columns to help capture information about those files to then, you know, do data skipping. Okay, so um, the, recap, the recap, the metadata in Iceberg is throughout that metadata tree. In Hoodie, it's in that separate metadata table. And in Delta Lake, basically, in each of these commits, they're also tracking indexes on as each of these files get added. Okay, so that gives you an idea. At the end of the day, like all three of these are going to allow you the ability to time travel because they're capturing different states of the table. They're all going to enable asset transactions. Okay, they're all going to allow you to update the schema of the table, so schema evolution. Okay, um, you know, basically, again, some of the the bigger distinctions you'll see in practice are going to be sometimes just their performance with a particular engine. Okay, and this is, I think. A mistake a lot of people make where they where they ask themselves like hey which format is more performant okay because each format is essentially a standard way of organizing a table but what's going to determine how performant reading that format is is going to depend on the, the implementation in the particular engine so you could use you know two different query engines on the same format and get two very different performances um and you know some might be better on different engines because it's going to be based on how that the reading of that format is based in that engine. So, and also depends on the query, the settings of the individual table, because each of these uh, each of these formats have a lot of configurations you can put on how the table works, and and that can vary between engines. So there's a lot of aspects that if you really want, if, if performance is your biggest consideration, it's really hard to truly avoid just actually running your own internal tests based on workloads that you typically run. Okay, so I just want to kind of come out with that because you see a lot of benchmarks out there but the problem is like it's a lot of it relies on the particular engine implementation um so it's just saying hey like if you know basically a plain vanilla table performs this way um on a data set that doesn't necessarily that isn't represent your particular workloads isn't going to give you like the best approximation for you to evaluate so you do need to kind of run those when you're evaluating these if performance is sort of one of your key key priorities because you you can get wildly different results depending on sort of what your workloads are what tools you're using etc because again each tool while they can use a lot of the shared libraries in these open source projects there are aspects of that implementation that are engine specific that are going to have engine specific considerations okay but today we're going to be focusing on talking about dremio because we're going to talk about what dremio provides when it comes to each of these formats okay now dremio um you're probably aware of that Dremio is going to have sort of the most robust support when it comes to Apache Iceberg because Dremio is built really top to bottom with a lot of Iceberg-esque flair. And I, we'll, we'll go through that as we mean. But first, let's talk about what happens when you have Iceberg tables on your data lake and how Dremio makes using Apache Iceberg on your data lake and data lake house very easy. Okay, It's really like having, um, being able to have your data basically the difference between like a data lake and a data lake house is just really once you take those parquet files and you make them a, a, a iceberg table you now increase those possibilities with you know uh, asset transactions time travel things that were only like data warehouse kind of features before so right there is, that's it's the table format that really crosses that line into data lake house okay but with dremio it tries to give you uh, a full suite of sql that you can run right out of the box on your Apache Iceberg tables. All you have to do is connect the catalog, which could be, you know, you can connect an S3 bucket, you can connect an AWS Glue catalog, 
you can use a Nessie catalog, uh, you know, or like a, you know, Dremio, Dremio provides Nessie catalogs as a service. It's called Dremio Arctic. I'll talk more about that later on. But basically, you just connect one of these and you can begin running SQL like you had a database connected. Okay, so that means you can create tables, alter tables. You can use this copy into command that actually makes taking JSON and CSV files and just adding them into an iceberg table much easier. It basically just takes all the records in your JSON file, your CSV file, and then just adds them to the iceberg table without a bunch of intermediate steps. So that makes it a lot easier. Eventually, that command will support parquet files, so that way you can just say, hey, here's these parquet files, add their data to this iceberg table. But bottom line is, like, I, uh, Dremio is really constantly adding these commands to kind of just help make it easier to work with Apache Iceberg. Okay, you got full-on DML, so you can insert records, delete records, update records, run merge into statements, all from the Dremio UI. Okay, um, you know, again, this idea is just, you don't really have to think about all the nooks and crannies with Iceberg uh with the dremio platform you just literally connect a catalog again you could just literally connect your s3 after signing up for for dremio cloud in like two minutes and run create table statements and you've now created iceberg tables okay it makes that whole process very easy and then you can run queries and it'll take advantage of the apache iceberg format for partitioning so basically it will take advantage of the, all that metadata at a very granular level okay to give you those best query plans Okay. And even now, another issue when it comes to all three of these formats is the issue of optimization, because now you have these data lakehouse tables. But again, another thing that's happening in a data warehouse that you don't realize in that abstraction is that not only is it storing and managing data file, managing metadata, but it's also optimizing the metadata. It's also optimizing the, uh, the physical holding of those files as you add more data. And oftentimes you just don't think about this because this is all included in sort of what the data warehouse is doing for you under the hood, okay? And again, this is not about whether you use a data warehouse or not. This is about the issue again. You, you're, there's just no platform that's going to be the end-all, be-all. So you want your data in a format that's going to give you access to these tools, okay? So having your data in Apache Iceberg allows you to have your data in a, in a, in a format that many data warehouses can use and many data lakehouse tools can use, giving you a nice reach as far as the tools that you're using. Okay, and that goes for, uh, you know, and that that what that suite of tools looks like will depend on the format that you choose. Okay, but Dremio helps in the optimization of Apache Iceberg tables. So if you have Apache Iceberg tables in any catalog, you can use Dremio to optimize them with the optimize command, which will run compaction to help take all those small files, make them big, fewer, bigger files for better read performance. Okay. Eventually, there's going to be snapshots that you don't need anymore. So with the vacuum command, you can expire older snapshots um, in, you know, in your iceberg tables that are connected to any uh, iceberg catalog, and clean up and do those cleanup operations where it's going to clean up all your unneeded data files, and on top of that, um, you know, basically just clean up. Okay. And again, Dremio supports many catalogs. So again, you can you can use file system catalogs like S3 or ADLS or Google Blob Storage, okay? You can use AWS Glue as a catalog. You can use Hive as a catalog. You can use, uh, again, a HDFS system as catalog, a Hadoop system. You can use Nessie as a catalog. Um, you know, you can just connect it to Dremio and have access to all these iceberg tables. And that catalog supports constantly expanding. So, you know, that reach is just gonna keep growing.
Okay, but that reach is already pretty wide with a wide variety of SQL support. So it's a very robust level of Iceberg support. Um, and then Dremio is very, very optimized for reading Apache Iceberg cables in particular. Okay. Now, again, talking about that whole optimization story, not, not only does Dremio make it, it provide you a query engine that has a lot of support for working with Apache Iceberg cables, but it also has Dremio Arctic, okay, which is a, like essentially a lake house management service, which in the sense that it's providing you that management. Okay, so when it comes to like, the different formats, okay, and I'll talk a little bit more about that with the other formats, but generally like you need some sort of service that's going to manage um, your tables because you can manage them yourself and run all these maintenance operations yourself, but that can get tricky to manage and automate and whatnot. So it'd be nice to have a service that just kind of takes care of that. And that's what Dremio Arctic's for. It's going to allow you to catalog your iceberg tables but not only can you just run optimizing vacuum commands like we mentioned before, but you're going to be able to automate that and a bunch of other things. So let's kind of go through like what does Dremio Arctic provide you? Essentially, it's a catalog. So it's going to allow you to take your Apache Iceberg tables, group them together, and take them not only to Dremio's query engine, but you can take them over to Presto, Trino. Um, you can take them to Spark, Flink. It's, a, it's based on Project Nessie, an open source project that connects to several different engines. So basically, it provides you this catalog that's going to have these management services, but also provide you portability among many different tools. So it is Iceberg native. It's it's built for it's built with Iceberg in mind. Okay, so it allows you to catalog those Iceberg tables and make them useful by different tools. You can create multiple catalogs. So the great thing about um, the Dremio Arctic service is it allows you to create multiple catalogs. So you don't have to necessarily spin up a separate Nessie instance for any catalog you want. At the click of a button, you just have a new catalog. And you, this is great for like things like data mesh to handle those like cultural scaling issues as we discussed earlier, because I can just go create a catalog for my, um, you know, my product department. I go create a catalog for my engineering department, and ta-da, you know, those tables are now grouped together and are portable. Okay. Then you have access control. Okay. One of the things. Um, that are growing and going to continue expanding is part of this sort of Nessie project and the Dremio Arctic service that's built on top of it is the ability to create portable access control. So imagine that you have a catalog, you define the way you can access that catalog, and then that can be honored by Spark, by Flink, by Presto, by Trino, so that way you're only defining how that table can be accessed once, and anyone with the same, you know, accessing it with the same security token, they're going to have those rules sort of honored. Okay, so you're creating the, so this catalog not only creates portability of data, portability of security. Um, and then you can also govern it. You can have a nice UI where you can kind of view all the commits of these tables. Okay, because it's not only basically, well, the Iceberg format tracks commits at the table level, the project Nessie catalog, which powers Dremio Arctic, captures commits at the catalog level, which enables auditability of your catalog as a whole, okay, along with some other features I'll mention in a moment. But again, also with Dremio Arctic, you have table optimization, where you can actually literally turn on uh, a schedule for it to optimize your table and just say, hey, optimize the table every hour, every day, every week, every five minutes, whatever you want to do. Okay. And same thing with table cleanup. You can say, hey, you know what? Let's expire snapshots at the end of each week, each month, every day. You know, you you can you can set those rules and just set it and forget it, and allow those tables to be optimized for you. Okay. Um, it's going to allow isolation. So here's where we start getting to the nice things about that commit. Now, being able to capture commits at the catalog level allows you to do something very novel. It allows you to create branches of the catalog level commit history. So that means I can create a branch and isolate ingestion work on a branch. 
Um, I could, you know, create experimental branches and tag them. Okay, so it gives you a lot of those benefits of like Git um, at a catalog level, and all of this is accessible through SQL. So there's SQL language in Dremio and Spark and in all the supported catalogs that allow you to express SQL to kind of work with this branching and merging and working with this sort of like this Git-like functionality. And on top of that, not only do you get these commits to isolate data, but you get version controls, which means you can do time travel and say, hey, I only want to query the state of the catalog at this point. So instead of having to specify the specific snapshot for each individual table, you can just say, hey, I want to scan the catalog at this point, and then all those tables will be automatically time traveled that are part of that query. You can roll back the entire catalog if you need, if there's a mistake over the weekend, then you know 100 tables got bad in, you know, bad data in them. Instead of having to roll back each table individually, you can just roll back the whole catalog. Okay, very cool. Okay, and the last bit for like Iceberg, there's a few other uh, considerations. Is just that another another angle in which Dremio makes use of Apache Iceberg is Apache Iceberg. Um, is the Dremio's data reflections, which are going to be the topic of next week's episode. Okay, so if you want to learn more about how that works and 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 how you use them please be here next week. But what they are is essentially they're creating a, a, a representation of your data. So think of it as like a, um, I always like to say like a materialized view on steroids in the sense that it addresses many of the problems with materialized views where you can only really use it for like one data set. You have to kind of query a separate namespace. Um, you have to figure out how to keep it in sync with the underlying data. Dremio's reflections create essentially a materialization that's an actual an Apache iceberg table. So not only is it a physical representation, but it's going to get the benefit of all that Apache Iceberg metadata to be able to query that data um, uh, more smartly. And then you can partition that reflection to even increase the how fast you can query that, that reflection. So there's a lot of ways you can optimize that reflection, is my point. OK. Um, but it keeps it in sync. You don't actually have to query. So you can still query the original table and be completely unaware of the Dremio reflection. And the end user will still get the benefit of that reflection that was created. Okay, so it gives a lot of acceleration bang for your buck. Okay, so that's another cool aspect of how Dremio leverages Apache Iceberg. Okay, now remember, I mentioned there's this whole world of managing tables. Okay, so basically in, in the world of Apache Iceberg, okay, the format itself doesn't provide you necessarily tools for that. Instead, it, it wants um, that to be left to the market. So basically right now in the marketplace, you have Dremio Arctic uh, using that Nessie catalog that can provide you table optimization. And then you also have tabular, which uses a REST-based catalog, which is the REST catalog spec in the Apache Iceberg spec, um, to provide you another catalog, another option, which also provides automatic table optimization and other features. Um, and that can also be used with Dremio. Okay, so in the tabular UI, what you can do if you're using tabular is you can sync a table to your AWS Glue catalog, and then you would connect your AWS Glue catalog to Dremio, and Dremio can then scan those tables um, in a read-only fashion. Okay. Again, Dremio's catalog support is constantly expanding. So in the future, uh, there likely will be uh, full support for being able to connect that tabular catalog directly. But in the meantime, again, you can always just sync those, those tables with AWS Glue and then read them here in Dremio. So that way, if you need them to fuel a BI dashboard or, or make them available part for ad hoc analytics or in the particular data product, you can do that. So you have, you have different options. Dremio is, again, an open platform. We want you to be able to while we provide you tools, so that way you can work with Dremio with to fill most of your data lakehouse needs. Okay, whatever you choose to use, we, there's a there's a place for Dremio in your data stack. Okay, now what if you're using Delta Lake? Okay, Delta Lake can be read by Dremio. So Delta Lake tables, more than likely, if you're using Delta Lake, you're probably a Databricks user. 
So a lot of your writing to Delta Lake is probably going to be done over there on the Databricks platform. Okay. But, you know, we have, you have BI dashboards. Okay. And, you know, you want really nice, crisp BI dashboards. And this is going to be a place where Dremio can really provide you a lot of benefit to the, in, in when you're using those Delta Lake tables. Okay. So you can connect the S3 bucket or whatever cloud, cloud storage that you have your Databricks Delta Lake tables stored in. And, and Dremio can read those Delta Lake tables, and then you can use reflections to accelerate them to create sub-second BI dashboards uh, from your Delta Lake tables. Okay, um, the support for Delta Lake will always is always continuing to increase on Dremio. Will continue to expand, uh, but bottom line is if you have Delta Lake tables, we can read them. And the cool thing about Dremio is you can connect all sorts of things. You can connect like. Uh, you know, you can connect to your Snowflake. So if you have Delta Lake tables written by Databricks, but you also have some tables that you wrote on Snowflake, you can connect it all to Dremio and actually join that data, curate that, curate views on that data, okay, to make it accessible to your end users uh, without having to go through, jump through any hoops and making those two platforms work together. So something to keep in mind, okay. But bottom line is Dremio is a place where you can harmonize uh, your, your 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 disparate data sources, okay. Okay, now Hoodie, now officially Hoodie is not supported by Dremio in the sense that Dremio doesn't have any official read support for Hoodie. Okay, but if you're using Dremio software, so that means you're using the on-prem version of Dremio software, there are unofficial jars out there that you can drop in your install uh, that will give you the ability to read Hoodie tables on your Dremio install. Okay, uh, they're not officially supported uh, by Dremio. Okay, so... Um, you know, by you know, basically, you'd have to kind of deal with any bugs, but those do exist if that's something you want to do. But there's another option. Okay, chances are again it goes back to that whole optimization story. So again, if you're using Delta Lake, chances are you do, you're using Databricks, so you're probably using Databricks to do a lot of your optimization of your tables. You know, if you're using Iceberg, you have options like Dremio, Arctic, and Tabular. Okay, if you're using Hoodie, your main option for like uh, table optimization is going to be OneHouse, which is also is there to kind of uh, this is a little bit more like how Hoodie works. Okay. Is that the way Hoodie works? Is that Hoodie is unique from the other formats? Is that it actually not only is a format, but it also has this built-in service called the Delta Streamer. Okay, and the Delta Streamer is sort of this process that you can run. So as you you know ingest data into Hoodie format, it's going to run things like compaction and clustering and things like that for you on your data. Okay, now if you were just using Hoodie out of the box and implementing it yourself, you would have to like host this Delta Streamer, maintain uh, the deployment of this Delta Streamer and whatnot. So essentially, what OneHouse does is going to allow you to is giving you a platform that kind of provides that for you, along with other features. One of the cool uh, innovations they have is this feature called OneTable. This allows you to take any hoodie files, any hoodie tables that you've ingested, and actually sort of externally mirror them out in the metadata of a different table. So you could externally mirror them as a Delta Lake table, as Iceberg tables, and sync them, you know, in different ways. So there is a already a feature on Hoodie that allows you to take your 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 or I mean on OneHouse it allows you to take those Hoodie tables, mirror them out as Apache Iceberg metadata in an AWS Glue catalog. So essentially, what you could do is you if you're using Hoodie and you want to use Dremio, you could then again using that one table feature, take those Hoodie tables, make them available as Iceberg tables in an AWS Glue catalog. Then Dremio can query them, help you give for help you get those you know nice crisp BI dashboards. Or you know, join them with other formats, provide data for ad hoc analytics or building data applications, um, all those kinds of use cases. So bottom line is again, if, if you're if you're using Hoodie, it doesn't 
As, as I said before, Dremio is an open platform. There is a way for Dremio to be part of your data stack to provide you the benefits that Dremio provides. Okay. But hopefully this kind of helped you see the different ways that different table formats can work together. So again, Apache Iceberg is going to be where Dremio has the most robust uh, support. But again, the, if you're using Delta Lake or you're using Hoodie, there is a story with Dremio um, and ways for you to be able to use those tables with Dremio, depending on sort of like what you're using and what your, your use cases are. At the end of the day, my recommendation always is if you if you see the value in Dremio, and again, if you if you haven't tried out Dremio, head over to Dremio.com and try out Test Drive. Okay, so you can see what this this platform is um, and see it in action. But best thing to do is like sit down with you know some Dremio solutions architects. Let's explore what your use cases are to see you know if and how Dremio can best fit in your architecture to save you money, increase performance, make life easier for your end users. Because again, Dremio is the easy, open, and fast lakehouse platform. And we would love to make your lake house easy, open, and fast. So my name is Alex Merced. Again, here at another episode of Gnarly Data Waves. We're going to open it up to Q&A, and I'm going to answer your questions as best I can. But hopefully you guys enjoyed this presentation, give you a little bit more understanding of the space. And, um, you know, you walk away, walked away with something valuable. Again, join us next week. We'll be going to be taking a deep dive into Dremio, getting started with Dremio Reflections. I'll see you there. Hey, everybody. Okay. Let's talk about answering questions. Okay, so again, if you have any questions, put them in the Q&A box. I got two questions ready to go, so I'm going to start uh, answering them. And again, thank you all for sticking around through the entire presentation. Um, but first, we have a question from uh, Marcus. Can you explain with an example what happens when you store a transactional table in an iceberg format? Does iceberg read the table and create metadata tables? Okay, so essentially what would happen? Okay, so essentially what would happen is that you have your engines. So you might be using like a Dremio, a Spark. So first, the engine's going to do its job of, like, let's say we're writing data. They're going to write the new data files based on the query. And they are going to take a look at the existing metadata for the table first to determine, like, how is this table partitioned? What is the schema? So that way, it knows that information for how to write those parquet files. So then it writes all the parquet files with the appropriate partitioning, appropriate row group sizes, everything based on the settings of the table that they could get from the metadata. So once the files are written, the next step is then that's when the Apache Iceberg writers kick in. So basically, they would pull from the Iceberg library, which has uh, writers for writing the manifest files, uh, the manifest lists, and writing the, uh, the uh, metadata.json. So first you do is you take that list of new parquet files and pass it to uh, for like a particular partition, and you'd pass it to the manifest writer, and it would write a manifest file. So it would just read all those parquet files, take a look at the stats in those parquet files uh, at the in the parquet footers, and use that to generate all the file level stats for each file being added to that manifest. Then those manifests, you would then pass the group the essentially like thinking of it in a code way, you'd pass like the array of manifests to the manifest list reader, which would then create the snapshot metadata and write that Avro file that represents a snapshot. And then you would take that snapshot and pass it to the metadata.json writer, which would then take that um, along with any updates to the table, use that to kind of write the newest metadata.json, and then also update the catalog that's connected. Um, so essentially, like that would sort of essentially sort of be the right path. It starts sort of from the files and works its way up. Um, but because the catalog, the reason why this can be done with asset guarantees is because any any concurrent reads are going to the catalog. And the catalog is always going to point them to the existing metadata.json. Um, 
for the previously completed write. So this write that's kind of going on at the time isn't going to be read. And none of those files are going to be touched. There's no, you know, no chance that that read is going to be affected by that ongoing write. When that write's completed, it then updates that catalog mechanism saying, okay, hey, here's the newest metadata.json. And then going forward, any reads would read that new metadata.json and would be exposed to the new snapshot. And that's how it's able to kind of keep it in that sort of transactional format. Um, now, as far as trying to do like transactions on like multiple tables, that's where you'd want like a, something like the Project Nessie catalog or Dremio Arctic, because there you can isolate trans transactions on multiple tables on a branch and then merge them in simultaneously. Right now, they are working on a spec for Apache Iceberg for multi-table transactions. Uh, it doesn't, it, how they're going to implement it, we'll see. Um, but that's coming, but right now you can do that now with a Nessie catalog. Uh, that would be the, sort of the the way to do it right now. Okay, so that's the first question. But again, basically the actual like writing of the parquet files would be like that engine's chosen way of writing parquet files. And then you would pass those parquet files to the different writers for the metadata that are part of the iceberg libraries that each engine will use to then write those layers of metadata. Okay, which that's all written in Java, but the Python implementation is slowly like the PyIceberg is, is, is being built out and then uh, and so forth. Okay, uh, next question. Often the best technology fails to win in the marketplace. Okay, I, I, I hear some, I, I, I hear some, you know, imagining of beta versus VHS. Um, but hey, you don't use any of those now, right? Uh, how does Iceberg plan to counter all the industry momentum towards Delta Lake? Um, one, I, I, I would question the premise that all the industry momentum is towards Delta Lake. I do think there is Industry momentum, especially after the fabric announcement, there is there is definitely momentum towards Delta Lake, but there's also a lot of uh, momentum towards Iceberg. Um, and then you know, I would say like each format, even when you don't hear about them daily, has been building out their imprint of people who are using them in production. Okay, so all three formats are being used heavily in, in production by different companies, um, particularly like you know, think Fortune 500 companies because they're the ones who are going to have those the big data use cases that really benefit from these formats the most. Um, but I think what you're starting to see now is that each project is implementing more and more tools to help convert between the formats. So like Iceberg just came out with a, you know, a Delta to Iceberg converter, uh, a hoodie to Iceberg converters in the works. Um, you know, hoodie, we mentioned the one table thing that allows you to just kind of convert the metadata without actually having to convert the table. Uh, Delta Lake has uh, converters into Delta Lake. So everyone's gonna, all, all projects are gonna make it easier and easier to switch. Eventually, the friction between switching between different formats to, for different use cases, um, you know, the friction is going to be a lot less. You know, and again, when you convert, you're not necessarily rewriting data files. A lot of times, you're just rewriting metadata, so those conversions become a lot less impactful than rewriting a whole table. So that might reduce some of the friction. And I wouldn't be surprised if someday someone comes up with a whole separate open source project with just sort of a a universal reader type tool where that won't, won't wouldn't matter. Where it just like allows you to read. All three, uh, all three formats, or something like that. Um, that would be pretty cool. Um, but, um, but far as like, if we imagine them as like three purely competing forces, uh, one, you do have a lot of people who have gotten behind Iceberg. I mean, when you think of like the Dremios, uh, the Trinos, the uh, the um, Snowflakes, um, you know, who who have built robust Iceberg support. Um, you know. Um, and the reason is partly because it's an open project okay, in the sense that um, the people who are necessarily like writing Iceberg, oh, they come from many different companies. And, and then so it's like, why does that matter? Does that make it better or worse? Like 
the diversity of who the, the people writing the code are doesn't necessarily affect the quality of the project. But it does affect sort of like the longevity of the project. In a sense. So, um, and again, here I'm talking about the core, the core actual table libraries. So for example, we go to Delta Lake, the, the core sort of Delta Lake format is pretty much primarily steered by Databricks, which again, doesn't necessarily mean anything when it comes to, is it a good project or not? And then a lot of the like tangential libraries like Delta RS and a lot of these other libraries have more sort of more di diverse collaboration. But, um, you know, when you have a situation like what's going on right now, and this is my personal opinion, uh, for this next piece, um, when you think about what's going on with like Fabric, this kind of creates an interesting sort of dichotomy because you have Microsoft who's now creating a lot of support at the moment for Delta Lake, okay, which kind of creates sort of this, like this sort of competition between sort of like the Databricks platform and a lot of the inbuilt platforms on, on Microsoft. Um, what does that lead to sort of the decision-making and the steering of the project going forward? What kind of influences that might that create? Um, you know, like, do we add X feature to the Photon engine, which doesn't have sort of an open source sort of equivalent, you know, that's the, the one of the Databricks uh, engines, uh, you know, or is it something that's added to some other aspect of the platform, like the Unity catalog versus adding it to the open source format? Uh, so that way, you know, like there's, it creates some interesting like distinctions on like what the decisions will be made. Um, I don't know, like we'll see, um, but I think there's gonna be a strong place for all three formats going into the future. I don't think there's gonna be like, you know, oh, this is the format because there, there's gonna be platforms that support different formats that have different use cases and people are gonna have different data that needs different use cases and you're gonna wanna use the formats best for you. I think the friction between the three of them will become easier and less so over the time. So I'm not as worried about it, but I mean, if your concern is making sure that you're not stuck with a big price tag and have as many tools available to you as possible, Iceberg seems to have sort of like the widest sort of like read write support across different tools at, uh, at the moment. You know, if your primarily concern is like, okay, hey, I'm using like uh, Databricks and I wanna have like the best experience on Databricks possible, you know, then Delta Lake makes a lot of sense. If you're using, you know, Microsoft and you're using Databricks, then, you know, taking advantage of Fabric and all that stuff makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, if you're doing a lot of streaming and you you like the, the streaming experience and you're, you're a customer of like OneHouse, then it makes a lot of sense then to use Hoodie. It depends on what your use case is, okay? But regardless of what format you're using, you probably have some, you know, different use cases where Dremio can help you out in querying those tables. Um, and, you know, uh, but, I think, you know, there's a plenty of things you can say to in each in each format. If you were to put like little wins in their column um, as a format, they exist, and it's pretty exciting to see where this is going on. It's a really exciting space, and overall, um, you know, it's more it's, it's been really exciting learning about all three formats and how they're used and their feature expansions and sort of like the way their projects have built up. Because like Iceberg, everything's kind of like in one repo, but again, we mentioned like how Delta has like other perpendicular projects. So like you have the Delta RS project, but they're all separate repositories. Uh, I think Hoodie, everything is for the most part in one repository um, and sort of like the details of that. Okay. Uh, so that's that question. How does Dremio operate in the context of encryption and data governance, especially in the multi-tenant environment with a variety of customer T's and access grant levels? Dremio has some pretty robust encryption um, in, um, encryption support. Now, as far as like getting to sort of the, the 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 granular level that I think this question is trying to get at, I think that's going to be a conversation better suited for a Dremio Solutions architect who 
um, probably implements these kinds of systems and these kind of uh, situations for customers on a daily basis. Um, you know, as far as like figuring out what the right encryption for that customer is and sort of making sure that all that all that is set up in the most secure way possible. Um, we're more than glad to get you in touch with a, uh, sit, and a sit down with a, a, a solutions architect to figure out those details to make sure that you get answers that are specific to your applicable use case. Um, but Dremio does definitely have uh, lots of features and a lot of incorporation with lots of tools like Apache Ranger, as far as like when we talk about access controls and a lot of other things, depending on your particular use case. Okay, uh, does Dremio integrate with open source metadata management gear project? That I don't know. That I don't know. Um, I mean, generally, like if you're using Dremio software, so again, that's like the on-prem version of, of Dremio, there's all sorts of different connectors and, 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 and uh, customizations out there that you can use to incorporate all sorts of different tools. Uh, if we're talking about the, the, the cloud SaaS, um, then that's a little bit more like, okay, there's available connectors and these are the things you can use. Um, so, um, but that I, I, I wouldn't, I'm not a hundred, I wouldn't be able to give you an answer. I'm not, I'm pretty sure that's not supported on cloud. I don't remember seeing that come up in conversations in cloud. Far as is there unofficial connectors in the Dremio software world? I'm unaware this is for the metadata management system, uh, the Egeria project. Um, but you know, something, uh, we can always sit down and figure out, uh, with, if it's something, if it's part of your data stack and you have a Dremio use case, we can always figure out sort of what's the best way to kind of. Uh, th shoot, uh, thread th that needle. Okay, um, let me mark that one as live, uh, answered. Okay, how does one keep themselves up to date on capabilities of each table formats? Difficult. Uh, Iceberg being more open source and community driven while Delta Lake, I mean, bottom line is like no, none of these formats are gonna keep their features secrets. Like, you know, like uh, the Iceberg community, uh, Databricks and the Delta Lake community, they're all very eager to announce anytime there's something new and excited. So generally finding out about what's new and available to you, uh, it's not hard. It's not hard, uh, especially if you're at it, if you add a lot of people on LinkedIn, I would say like, you know, find out who are those people who love to talk about these things uh, and add them. So like, you want to hear about the, the, the latest and greatest stuff, you know, when it comes to Delta Lake, add someone like Denny Lee. If you want to hear about like Iceberg and the Data Lake House space in general, like add someone like me and, and my counterpart, Deepankar Mazumdar here at Dremio. Uh, here in developer advocacy, where this, you know, these are we, our job is to kind of be up to date on the newest things and talk about those new things. So that way, you know, we can do the work for you. Um, but I mean, I things I found useful is you know things like Google Alerts, um, following the right people on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Uh, just basically getting getting a nice list of people in the data community, so that way you're constantly like, uh, and just following sort of all the companies, so that way you hear their announcements. And then also. Um, you know, uh, following the projects on GitHub. So that way you get those announcements when there's like different commits and different pull requests and issues that you can go read up on. Uh, again, there's only so many, there's so much time in the day. Like for me, it's, it's, it's what I do. So, you know, it's, it's, but uh, yeah, that's, that's that. Okay. Where can one test drive all three in one environment? As far as test driving all three in one environment, Spark is going to be your best bet for an easy place to test all three. Um, what I would do is I would read my blog on converting Delta Lake to Iceberg because there, at least I set up Spark for uh, Iceberg and Delta Lake. So you can get try out, you get to try out Delta Lake and see how the, and Iceberg in one blog post and see what the configurations are. And then literally, if you just go to the hoodie, you can, uh, documentation, you can see the Spark settings for that pretty quickly. Um, and try that out. Maybe at some point I'll put out a blog where I just kind of walk through all three in Spark. Um, I'll just put that in the back of my mind as something to do. 
Okay. Answered. Uh, is there an, anything of interest for domains with structure but not exactly general purpose formats, BAM, VCF? VCF, oh, VCF, that brings me back. Um, before I was at Dremio, I used to do like, uh, or one, one of the things I've done before pre-Dremio is I used to do some freelance work and I actually created like a whole, like this whole application for like reading VCF files. It never was released, but it was like a thing I was doing for a client. And so I got really intimate with VCF files. Um, but um, right now, far as like special file support for Dremio, there is some. Um, and I think, again, there's official jars. Um, I would sit down with a solutions architect because sometimes we do have of sometimes of special solutions for special situations. Um, so again, depending on the use case, depending on sort of what the, what is sort of like the best way to get you the right performance and get you the least friction to get from point A to point B, our solutions architects can really kind of figure out what that, that, that story looks like. Um, cool, cool, cool. Can Dermio work with Databricks? You know, well, that, that's an interesting announcement. So recently Databricks announced that the Unity catalog, which is sort of their internal catalog. So think of, kind of like what Dremio Arctic is the Dremio, but different, there's like different use cases, um, has like a Hive API. So theoretically, Dremio supports Hive. So if you're using Dremio software, Hive is a potential connection. So theoretically, it should be able to connect to anything that has uh, the Hive API. So theoretically, yes, I haven't tested this. Um, you know, kind of like anyone who could, like it's in the same way like that, you know, Tabular and OneHouse can sync their tables to Glue and that makes them usable in Dremio. Theoretically, if Unity Catalog supports the, the Hive API, that could make it useful in Dremio. Um, I personally not have tried that out yet to confirm that that is the case, but it, I don't see why it wouldn't if it's following the API, um, the, the, the open source a, uh, Hive API. Okay, uh, comment only. If I was answering the question about market momentum, I would have heard the Dremio partnership page. Okay, yeah, that's, that's a great answer. Okay, read the Dremio partnership page. Um, because that way you can get sort of like the, the official sort of like uh, Dremio's perspective. Again, here, I'm just kind of speaking extemporaneously. A lot of it, a lot of this is just sort of like my thoughts uh, on the matter, just from just immersing myself. Uh, does Dremio have a data lineage service? Now, here's the great thing about Dremio. Like it, data lineage is built into Dremio. So basically any source you connect as you create views on that data source, um, which, you know, you can end up creating several la layers of views between you and your end users. Um, the great thing is that what happens is that that whole lineage of how all those views uh, get derived uh, become are totally visible and totally audible. So you can see, okay, hey, this view was created based on these these views, which were created based on these sources by this user um, with these changes, and you can kind of see how these different data sets evolved. This makes it really useful, especially for like like ELT patterns, so export load transfer, where basically you're loading the raw data sets right into Dremio. So essentially all the transformations are happening through views in Dremio. So you're seeing the full sort of transformation lineage right there through the Dremio UI, uh, which is pretty cool. Again, ETL works fine too. It's just like the lineage captures sort of like the transformations from within within Dremio. So it won't capture any transformations from that happened prior to the source. Um, so for example, if I, you know, if I if I were to make a bunch of transformations before loading the, the parquet data into S3. And then I, I connect my S3 to Dremio, and then we make further transformations. I'll have a lineage of all the transformations past S3, but not previous from within Dremio, just to understand how that lineage uh, view works. But it, that is there. Um, it makes it, it just adds another layer of the transparency you have in Dremio over your data, along with the wiki, so you can document the data, the semantic layer, so you can organize your data. 
So again, whatever your data is, you can you can make it really usable from Dremio. Um, now, would I say like, is there a preference between ETL ELT? No, I mean Dremio. Part of us being sort of the open platform is we want to try to facilitate the patterns that like your workflows, the way you like to work them. So we, like our semantic layer, um, basically how everything works is was made to be flexible. So that way, when you use Dremio, it enhances your existing workflows, makes them easier and faster but doesn't force you to have to relearn sort of new patterns just because you adopted this new tool. Cause that's always one of the frictions you have when you adopt a lot of tools and say, well, our tool will give you these benefits, but you're gonna have to like now change the way you do things in X, Y, or Z way. Uh, Dremio really tries to be something that's sort of like is a, is a progressive enhancement. Um, depending on what patterns you do, we do have like recommendations, like, you know, uh, like far as like medallion architectures, depending on whether you choose ETL or ELT. But far as which one should you do is, everyone's use case is different. Everyone's considerations are different. And we want to make sure that we have a platform that's moldable to what you need. Uh, that's the, it's, a, it's a platform for data lake houses, not just any specific type of data lake house. Um, so that, that would sort of be my answer there. Um, I think that's pretty much all these questions. So let me mark these as all done. The slide deck will be available when this is posted. So this will be available. Uh, with all previous episodes over that dremu.com slash gnarly dash data dash waves. Um, and then if you sign up for this, you'll get an email to that link. And we also post this on YouTube and on Spotify so to, to rewatch. So that'll all be within 48 hours just because there's some prep work that gets done with the recording after we're done. Um, but this will all be available. I'm on LinkedIn, so feel free to you know reach out anytime. Yep, there you go. That's the URL, dremu.com slash gnarly dash data dash waves. You can find all the previous episodes, transcripts, slides, everything. There's a lot of great content we've had in the past. So if you haven't gotten seen those episodes, do check them out. Um, and we have many more coming up. Make sure to be here next week when we'll be talking about data reflections. But until then, I'll see you guys there. Thank you very much for sticking around today. It's been a fun one. And uh, hopefully you guys got a lot of value out of this. And uh, either way, just keep data laking and uh, you know accessing that data. I'll see you all later.